Good morning. Happy Easter. Let me say, first of all, how much I appreciate all you had to do to be part of this service. Uh, Welcome to the fifth of six weekend services, but I know how congested it was out there in the traffic jams in the back up on K96. And to all of you who did everything you did to be here today, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And to those of you watching in overflow, thank you for being patient with us. Um, I was on a plane. I'm pretty sure I was flying into Atlanta. It was almost a year ago. And um, we were at that part of the flight when we began the descent. And then, you know, the flight attendant said that we had to shut off all electronic devices. I hate that because when I do, I don't know what to do with myself. And so what I typically do is I reach for that catalog that has all the cheesy merchandise that nobody wants. And I was flipping through that as we kept descending, and I found a bracelet. I never had been inclined to order anything out of that catalog, but when I saw the bracelet, I thought, hey, I think I might order that. Because the bracelet had a saying on it that I use probably 15, 20 times a week. It just simply said, it is what it is. And I thought about that. I thought, yeah, it is what it is. Anybody else an is what it is person here today? I mean, you know, that's, that's how I am. And here's the deal. If you back me into a corner, I would tell you, well, I'm embracing reality. But that's not strictly true. The truth is a little deeper than that. When I say it is what it is, I'm surrendering to reality. It is my way of saying I didn't hope for this. I didn't expect this. This isn't exactly what I thought was going to happen, but it, it is what it is. I don't know why it is. I mean, I, I joke with Mary Alice. Some of the greatest thoughts I've ever had have been when I'm in an airplane. Some of the best series we've ever had. I always tell her it's because I'm closer to God when I'm in an airplane. <laughs> and, and I don't want to give you the wrong impression because I'm not a hyper-spiritual person, but... And then God didn't speak out loud or anything, but it, as I sat there and I looked at that bracelet, it's what it is, and thought, wow, I could wear that. It was almost as if God whispered in my ear, but it's not what it seems. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. That's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes today. You know, here's the thing. If you are an is what it is person, you know what bothers you? People who believe in unicorns. I don't know. Not really. You know, I'm talking about gullible people. Who, who, who believe things that leave them vulnerable. In fact, that, that is the deal. We, we, we don't want to, those of us who are is what it is people, we don't want to believe something that isn't true because we know if we do, we'll wind up being vulnerable. So I don't mean really people who believe in unicorns, but I'm talking about, you know, people who step at 3 o'clock in the morning and watch infomercials and they really believe the product works. <laughs> or people that are waiting for that next magic pill that will help you lose 30 pounds. Or people who believe in love at first sight. Or maybe people who go to church on Easter believing that a dead man came back to life. Because after all, if you are an is-what-it-is person, it could be that you would say something like this to me. And again, you know, if you're new to New Spring, you need to know this is not a place where we wear halos. This is a place where we always talk straight with each other. So let's just open this discussion up. It could be that you're here today at New Spring and you're saying, Mark, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I don't mind dressing up in some spring clothes and hiding some eggs for the kids. And I'll even go to church. But tell you the truth. This deal about a dead man coming back to life, you know, that's never happened before to my knowledge. I've never seen it happen. I, you know, my mom ain't never seen it happen. My grandma ain't never seen it happen. I I really don't believe in that. And to be honest with you, Mark, just just telling you how I feel, if you're telling me that your Savior died on a cross, I want to tell you where he is. He's dead. Well, let's start there. Let's start there because there's no doubt about it. Jesus did die. It is one of the most, it is one of the most corroborated ancient facts from, from history that Jesus did die. And the Bible is very clear that he did die. Um, I'll just pull out one scripture. In John chapter 19, the Bible tells us that Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, and they, just keeping it straight, they had to take the nails out of his hands, pull him off the cross, 
wrap him up. Nicodemus came to help Jesus. <laughs> and the Bible tells us in this verse, they brought 75 pounds of spices. Now, as far as we know in history, nobody was ever buried with more than 40 pounds of spices. Joseph and, Nic uh, Joseph and Nicodemus may have been great legislators, but they, they made terrible funeral directors. And being straight with you, just being honest, I mean, to pack Jesus in with 75 pounds of dried spices, if he had not been dead already, which he was, but if he had not been dead already, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, that would have killed him. That's why the women had to come back the next day and do it right. At least they intended to do it right. So, you know, that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says there was a tomb nearby, and they laid Jesus there. If you're looking for an is-what-it-is moment, death is that moment, and Jesus died. And it is for us, too. We fear death. We fear not only our own death, but the deaths of people that we love. I'm a sports junkie. And, you know, I hope spring's eternal. I can't help myself. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm looking for a 12-step program, if you know of one. <laughs> I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so I just, if I see a star on the side of the hat, I watch them. I don't want to. But for many years, I've been watching them. And it's just like watching, you know, Wichita State play, play Notre Dame. I mean, you know, you're like thinking, well, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. And this will happen. That will happen. But when the clock goes to zeros, man, at that point, you can sit around and talk about what could have, would have, should have happened with your friends. But it's over. And for me, that's, that's kind of what death feels like. I've been very blessed in my life. I've never had the death of a family member, an immediate family member, until a couple years ago. My dad passed away. And God gave him a long life. And, and you know, if you've ever had a, a dad or a mom or a grandparent, elderly person in your life that's enjoyed good health, you can almost get lured into believing they'll always be there. By the way, if you have someone like that in your life, let them know you love them today on Easter especially if they're a long way away, just call them and tell them. But anyway, you know, I, I just sort of thought my dad was always going to be there. But about two years ago, right about now, he got sick and he, he got worse. And I kept praying and hoping that he would get better, but he didn't get better. And I remember that July morning when I got a call from Chaplain of St. Francis, who knows me, and he said, um, if you want to see your dad, Mark, you better get up here in a hurry. And I got up there, but unfortunately, I didn't get there in time. My dad had already passed, and my family came later, and we were all in the room, and we did what families do. We stayed there with the body, and, and, and I was in and out of the room making funeral arrangements on the phone. But after a while, the family all left, and I was there in the room, just Mary Alice and me, and Mortuary came. They came, and they said, we're going to take his body now. And I said, well, I'm familiar with what happens now. I want to stay. And they took his body. They put it in a blue bag, zipped it up, and I said, I'm going to ride down the elevator with you. And I rode down the elevator. What a strange feeling, riding down with my dad's body in the blue bag. It is what it is. And there's no sense pretending that it's not. Death is what it is. Thomas Jefferson, one of our greatest leaders, but he, he, had, he had sort of strange beliefs in regard to God. He was what they called a deist in those days. He sort of believed in a creator God, but he didn't believe in the supernatural. So he decided, he decided to make his own Bible. So he took, a, took scissors or stylus or something short, sharp, and he cut out all the scriptures that had to do with the supernatural he was enamored with the teachings of Jesus. He thought Jesus was a great teacher. He just didn't believe in the supernatural. So Jefferson came up with an 86-page Bible. And, and since he didn't believe in the virgin birth, his Bible started with Caesar Augustus declaring that the whole world was to be taxed. And here is how his Bible ended. I'm quoting. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Now, a typical politician his Bible began with taxes and ended with death. 
But that's, I mean, what a sad way to end the Bible. I mean, boy, doesn't that cheer you up? They took his body to the grave and closed the sepulcher and they left. The end. Oh, look, Jefferson's just saying it is what it is. And for those of us like you and me, those of us who are is what it is people, we would just say it, it is what it is. The facts are what they are. But here's where it gets a little dicey. But you see, the fact of the matter is, those of us who, who are is what it is people, we're just as vulnerable as the people who believe in unicorns. You know why? Because we don't know all the facts. We just know the, we just know the facts that we see. And frankly, we're sitting on a pretty shallow body of facts. I used to say, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. In fact, I remember a story I used to tell when I was a teenage preacher. It goes way back in history, long before there was you know, air, airplane flight and, and sophisticated communications as we have today. Anyway, a man pastored a little country church, beautiful, ornate, tall, stained glass windows. And they were having, kind of like on Easter, some churches will still have a potluck lunch and dinner on the grounds and the kids play baseball and all that kind of thing. Well, anyway, when the kids were playing baseball, kid hit a hot fly and it landed, right, it went right through one of those beautiful stained glass windows. So the next morning, the minister found himself on a train to Chicago. He got there in Chicago, and he must have been ADD like me, because he realized when he got there, he forgot two very important pieces of information. First of all, he didn't know the inscription, the scripture that went on the window. And number two, he didn't know the size. So he telegraphed to his wife, and he said, baby, I need you to send me a couple pieces of information. I need the scripture for the window and the size. Sat there in the telegraph office, sat a few minutes, the machine began to clatter. The operator pulled off a piece of paper, looked at it. He went into such shock, he fell over in a dead faint. His assistant came over, saw the piece of paper lying on the floor, picked it up, read it. He was in shock. He fell over, fainted too. Minister walked over, seeing what happened, saw the piece of paper on the floor, picked it up, realized it was his, read it, stuck it in his pocket, and walked out. Here's what the paper said. Unto us, a child is born, six foot, seven inches. Now, here's the deal. Those of us who are is what it is people, that's our problem. We say it is what it is, but we're not, we don't know everything it is. As I said, we're sitting on a pretty shallow body of fact. And no place is it clearer than when it comes to death. I could be talking to somebody here today, and you just say, Mark, I, I'm, I'm visiting New Spring today, but honestly, I'm not. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are non-theists and agnostics, and we, we dialogue about this. And, and sometimes my friends will say to me something like this, Mark, I, I love listening to you talk. You're, you know, it's fun debating with you. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you my problem. My problem is you people who believe in faith, you deny facts, or you believe that faith is suspending, you know, faith is suspending re reality, or faith is suspending disbelief. I would never say that in a million years. Never in a million years. Faith is not the suspension of reality, and faith is not the suspension of disbelief. Hey, let me tell you, I'll be the first one to say, whether you're talking about religion or science or philosophy or mathematics or medicine, any, sc any school of consideration, we all have to bow to one thing, and that's fact. You can tell me it's science, but if it isn't fact, it doesn't matter. You can tell me it's religion, but if it isn't fact, it doesn't matter. Everything essentially and ultimately has to bow to fact. So never in a million years would I suggest to you that you need to suspend reality 
in order to have faith. See, faith doesn't tell us that you don't believe the facts. Faith tells us that the facts may be bigger than we think they are. Faith tells us that the picture may be so much bigger than we believe it is. In my talk today, I want to bring you to a story from Jesus' resurrection. And in the talk, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. There are all kinds of stories I could have chosen from Jesus' resurrection. Mary and Martha going to the tomb, Peter and John getting there and seeing it was empty. But I've chosen for our consideration today a story that's one of the lesser-known stories of the resurrection. In fact, it happened on Sunday afternoon. And it happened to a couple of guys. We know one of them, his name was Cleopas. We don't know the other guy's name. But these are both followers of Jesus. And they're uh, walking uh, to a town called Emmaus, just a, a little ways out of Jerusalem. And they're, they got their heads down. They're mad at themselves for, for hitching their wagon to a falling star. And so they're sort of kicking themselves as they walk for believing in Jesus. And after a few minutes, a third person shows up. And that's where it gets interesting. Let me read it to you. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, in my vernacular, what are you guys talking about? Now, I hope God kept this on video or tape, because I'm going to watch this when I get to heaven. So, get this picture in your mind. These two guys, they're mad at themselves for believing in Jesus. They feel like they stupid, stupid, stupid. Three years we committed to this guy, and then he died on a cross. So they're, they're upset with themselves, and all of a sudden Jesus walks up. They don't know who he is, and Jesus said, what are you guys so upset about? And they just stop in shock and look at him. Look, look at what they said. Cleopas said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened here the last few days. <laughs> You're the only one who didn't know what's happening. Now, here's, you, th- you tell me Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. He plays along. What things? That's in verse 19. Jesus asked him, what things? I mean, here's the one. He's the guy who died on the cross and went through the trial, rose from the grave. What things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Listen, if you want to find it is what it is in the Bible, look at these next three words. We had hoped. We had hoped. He was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. I mean, here were guys who were giving up flat out on Jesus. They said, we saw what we saw. It is what it is. We had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. And quite frankly, what their plan was, what their hope, their dreams was, that Jesus would be the king of Israel, that he would overthrow Rome. And because they were in tight with him, they would get cushy government jobs. Some things don't change. (laughs) That was their idea. That was their plan. Look at Jesus' response. Then he said to them, Don't you see that this had to happen? Juxtapose, if you will, for a moment. There it is what it is statement. We had hoped against Jesus. Don't you know it was part of a plan? Don't you know there's a bigger plan that trumps, that's bigger than what you would hope would happen? And then I really do hope the Lord kept this on tape because Jesus went into this. Look, he said... The Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory. Then he started beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. 
Well, that must have been something because in the Old Testament, there are between 300 and 350 prophecies about Jesus. All kinds of prophecies about where he'd be born, Bethlehem, when he would be born. Daniel gave us a calendar and timetable for that 400 years before Jesus, 500 years before Jesus was born. Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. David in a psalm said that they would pierce his hands and feet hundreds of years before the Carthaginians invented crucifixion. All kinds of prophecies about Jesus. Dr. Peter Stoner was a mathematics genius. He was, he was, head, he was, he was part of the uh, science department at, Pens- at uh, um, uh, college in California at Pasadena uh, College, and then he went on to be head of the science department at Westmont University. He was really interested in the science of probabilities, and so he, he, led his, he led some of his students on a project to evaluate the prophecies about Jesus and the likelihood of them coming true. And he just selected eight out of these 300, 350 prophecies. Prophecies like he would be betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver, you know, crucified, hands, feet pierced. Here's what they discovered. That the likelihood of these prophecies about Jesus, just eight of them, of them coming true, the, the chance of that happening is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. And just to help us get a visual for that, Dr. Stoner said that would be like covering the state of Texas in silver dollars. Now, Texas is my home state. It's a big state. It's uh, 760 miles across and over 800 miles north to south, 268,000 miles. He said it would be like covering the face of the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, marking one putting it somewhere in the state, mixing up all the silver dollars, blindfolding a man, sending him out to find it on the first pick. Now, do you understand why Jesus said to these disciples, don't you understand? These things had to be. And he went through all the scriptures about himself and said, this was all part of a plan. They said, we had hoped. And Jesus said, but God had a plan. Do you find it significant For those of us who are is what it is people, do you find it significant that Jesus never challenged their version of the facts? Jesus never said that any of the things were incorrect that they were saying. But what Jesus said reinterpreted the facts. I think about that day riding down the elevator with my dad's body. If I simply went by what I saw, I would have said this is the end of W.M. Hoover. This is how it ends. He was born in 1925. He lived his life and he's finished and his life is over. He's in a blue bag riding down the elevator at San Francisco Hospital. But see, God has a plan. And God's plan is so much bigger than my plan. I don't know all the facts. In fact, the one who can see beyond this life tells us what had happened with my dad. The Bible says we know that when, the, when this earthly tent, this body that we live in, when it wears out as it did with my dad, God has a body for us that will never die, never decay, never get sick, never know diabetes, cancer, or dementia, or anything else. You know, in that I had hoped moment, I had hoped that my dad would continue to live on. In the nearly 90-year-old body suffering from dementia, God had a better plan. God's plan trumped mine. God took my dad to heaven where he's more alive than I am today and never knows the sickness and limitations that he knew in this life. It is what it is. Not questioning that. It's just that it's not what it seems. What's your is what it is moment? Well, what What is your I had hope moment? I had hoped that I would find a nice person to be in a relationship with. 
I had hoped that my marriage would last. I had hoped that my kids would grow up and not be crazy. <laughs> I had hoped that my health would, would be good. I had hoped that my career would drop and blow away. I had hoped. Here's the thing. Nobody's life goes the way they hoped. None of us goes through life with everything working out the way we hope and dream. But here is the beautiful thing. And I'm not, I'm not trying to blow sunshine at you this morning. I'm just telling you the facts. That every time we have an I had hope moment, God has a he has a plan moment. And it might not be what our plan is, but his, his, his plan is always better than our plan. Because God looks at things from an eternal perspective. When I think about these two guys going to Emmaus, their plan was that Jesus would be the Messiah and they'd get government jobs. Jesus' plan, oh, here's the thing. Maybe this is the best way to say it. When we think about what we had hoped about life, we tend to think we know what our issues are. This is my problem. This is my goal. This is what I want to accomplish. This is what I don't want to see happen to me. But if we, if, we, if we understand the picture so much bigger than we realize, we realize we don't know what's best for us. And the thing that we discover is God knows what our biggest issue is. Now, in Jesus' case with these two disciples, if Jesus had done what they wanted him to do, he would not have met their biggest need. And by the way, he wouldn't have met our biggest need. I don't know what you believe your biggest problem is today, but I'll tell you what our biggest problem, yours and mine, is. Our biggest problem is we're sinners, and we're going to have to someday go mano a mano or face-to-face with God. Every once in a while, I'll talk to people, and they'll say, do you know you're going to heaven? Yeah. How do you know you're going to heaven? I'm a good person. Do you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know how good you have to be to get into heaven? Perfect. I can't be perfect for 10 minutes. I mean, I'm not trying to laugh, but I'm just serious. I can't, I mean, I I can't go 10 minutes without doing something I shouldn't do or not doing something I should do. And if perfection gets me into heaven, I'm I'm dead. The Bible says all sin comes short of the glory of God. You may be, you may be, you know, you may be at 80% of what God wants. I'm down maybe about 3%, but what does it matter if we all come short? Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is nobody righteous, not even one. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, not even the best person you know. See, that's our biggest problem. Well, what's going to happen to us because we've sinned? Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Well, wages are like a paycheck. If you work on a job, you get a check. You get a paycheck, get a wage. And since we've all sinned, well, what we've earned is death. And the Greek word for death is stanitos, which means separation. It's not talking about casket death, graveyard death. It's talking about eternal separation from God. So that's our problem. Hey, my problem is not that I didn't get a particular university. My problem is I'm a sinner. I've got to face God in the wages of sin's death. But you talk about your is what it is, but it not, it's not what it seems moments. You, I just gave you half of Romans 6, verse 23. The first half says the wages of sin is death. The second half said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God doesn't want anybody to be separated from him. And flawed sinner though we are, this is the whole reason why Jesus came to the earth. This is why he died on the cross. This is why the, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for our sins. And when God looked at what Jesus did, he said, Mark's price has been paid for, paid in full. 
And then three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, signifying that the deal was finalized and finished. Romans 3.10, all unrighteous, no, not one. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You say, Mark, how do I get that gift? Just ask. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you will believe in your heart, it doesn't mean the pump in your chest, it's just your inner person. If you'll believe in your heart, that, look at the, isn't this interesting, that God raised him from the dead. That's the one fact God asks you to believe. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Somebody will say, well, Mark, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've screwed up a lot. Put her there, partner. <laughs> Me too. How do I know? I mean, you, you know, Mark, I've tried being religious. I've tried doing good stuff, and I just keep blowing it up. How do I know God would listen to me? I want you to hear something. In Romans 10, verse 13, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hey, whoever, that's me, and that's you. You know, it's interesting. God's not asking you to join a church. He's not asking you to give money. He's not asking you to do community service. He's not even asking you to try to turn over a new leaf. He just said, if you put your confidence in Jesus. See, that's why Jesus came. That's why if you look at a Christian church and you see the cross, kind of freaky when you think about it, that our ultimate symbol is an execution instrument. But the reason we elevate it is because that's our hope. See, I'm a sinner. It is what it is. But it's not what it seems because Jesus came and he ran the table for me, lived the life I can't live. And then he laid it down on a Roman cross and hung there for six hours. And the way God looked at it, but when he was finished, my sin was paid for, and so was yours. And anyone, 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 the door's wide open, anyone who will just simply come and say, I put my trust in you, Jesus, to do for me, to have done for me what I can't do for myself. That's how you have a relationship with God. As I close my part of the service today, I want to do something with you. I want to pray a prayer that if you want to join me, I want to pray a prayer that calls out to God for that forgiveness. And again, it's not the words, you know, repeating after me, it's, it's not like, we're not, I always tell you, we're not a humada 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 kind of church where you just repeat stuff. This, you can say what you want to say. God's just looking for a big yes. But if you'd, like, if you'd like for me to help you pray, I'm going to pray this slowly so that if you want to pray it, you can own it, okay? Here we go. Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm flawed and I'm broken. And I can't fix myself but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And yes, I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and to make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you say, Mark, I just pray, but I don't know what happened to me. Well, I have a gift I want to give you. Please don't leave without getting this. Just stay where you are for just a moment, if you will. It's a, it's a DVD and a book I wrote. It's about the length that somebody with ADD would write. <laughs> but it answers a lot of questions about it. He said, I just pray. What happened to me? Well, I'll, I'll answer a lot of questions in this book. Plus, there's a coupon for a new Bible. When you walk out, when you see balloons, any place in the concourse, if you see balloons, all you got to do is just go up and say, I prayed with Mark, and I promise you they won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number, anything like that. They just want to give this to you, okay? I'm going to ask you just to stay right where you are for a few moments. Next week, we start the biggest series we've ever been part of here at New Spring. It's called We Need to Talk. 
Happy Easter. Please stay where you are just for one more moment.